Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. <laughs> Friends and classmates are in shock right now after two teenage sisters are murdered, police say, by their own father. Now police want to find Yasser Saeed. CBS 11's Bachelet is live outside the Saeed A crime with roots in tribal lands. And now it's come here. Is there any doubt in your mind that these were honor killings? None, none at all. Murder in the family, honor killing in America. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster podcast with hosts Amy and Kevin. And we're coming back at you this week with episode 40, the horrific honor killings of Amina and Sarah Saeed. And this is a very timely episode as well because, spoiler alert, Motherfucker just got caught. Yes. On August 26th, I believe, he was caught in Justin, Texas. He has been on the FBI Most Wanted list since, I think, it's been at least six years, but he's been on the run for 12. So we don't have a ton of information after his arrest, but we just want to let you know that he has been caught. So it's just everyone can kind of breathe a sigh of relief. There's actually been two people off of the FBI's Most Wanted list, the top 10, who've been caught this summer alone. And we might end up doing the other case, but some of the other cases I feel like are either fairly popular or there isn't a ton of information about it. So we'll we'll look back into the FBI most wanted list. Uh, it'll also be interesting to see who takes their place. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because like right now their pictures are still there and it just says captured. It doesn't doesn't have anything else. They haven't been replaced yet. So anyways, this is a very timely episode. So we just want to tell you guys the story of Yasser Saeed and his family. Yeah. That he murdered because well, he's a terrible yeah. human being. All right. Anything you want to say before we start? Um, this one was hard for you. Yeah. So what was the name of the documentary? The, oh shoot, I should know this. It's like the honor... Of killing or the price of honor, the price of honor, the price of honor. Yeah, yeah. That it's was a passed. it's a great it's, it's a really really good documentary, and it is infuriating. Yeah, and it's pretty much I would say the definitive source of Yasser Saeed and all the terrible things he did. The, the documentarians are some of the fucking ballsiest people I've ever <laughs> yeah. seen before in my life. <laughs> They just straight up go to like the Saeed's houses and they're just like, hey, we're making a documentary. You, you need to talk to us. And they're like, we will kill you. Yeah, they actually stopped going up to the front Yeah, because they of... they got death threats. So Yasser has like four or five different brothers. He's got three brothers and one sister. So there's five of them total, I believe. And they're all these Egyptian it's like this Egyptian gang of shady motherfuckers. Yeah, which we'll get into. I'm kind of curious about... I would, yeah. I'm, the I family... was trying to find some information on like the parents and stuff because, I don't know, something seems off about this whole family. And it, it seems like they have a lot of money. They just like... have limitless income, yeah. And like nobody like really... Well, it's not that nobody works. It's just Yasser doesn't have regular employment, it seems like. It seems like the other siblings do. Yeah. Well, like one's I mean, like an engineer. Right. Yasser was like a cab driver. Yeah. From time to time when he felt like it. Right. So. and But he was always going back and forth to Egypt. Yeah. And like buying houses here and there. And like, I'm pretty sure that his wife didn't work. Maybe she was a model. <laughs> well, you can Google her and see for yourself. <laughs> all right. So with all of that, now that we've given you the ending, let's give you the beginning. <laughs> And we'll, and we'll talk more about his capture. So to start off this story, it's really important to get to know the victims. They were these two fucking wonderful girls that, I mean, just uh, we'll, we'll set their pictures as the on our Podbean as the main graphic. And we'll also have pictures on our Facebook as well, our Facebook group and Instagram and Twitter. But Amina and Sarah were two very strikingly beautiful 
half Egyptian, half white girls that just, I mean, they couldn't have been any cuter. Amina's eyes are insane. Oh my gosh, her eyes are so pretty. And like her dad really focuses on it as well. But like, yeah, her eyes are just this very like mossy, beautiful green. Um, just like, but very clear, like, she's so pretty. And Sarah's also really pretty. Sarah very much, she's very much in the backdrop of the film and she's not the super outgoing one quite like how Amina was, but she definitely figures into the story. Definitely. You think that's because she's more of a tomboy? Um, maybe, but I mean, and we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. So but it, I also think that Amina, one of the reasons that she's featured in the documentary so much is that people on her side, like her boyfriend Joseph and his mom Ruth, they were all willing to be interviewed for the documentary. They're half the documentary. Yeah, they were very much part of the documentary. I do not believe that Sarah, the sister, I don't think that anybody on her side really wanted to be in the documentary, it seemed. Her boyfriend, although his first name is given, he's never interviewed and his face is always blurred out. So it's hard to tell the story of someone when you don't have the consent of their people to to tell their story, you know? And during the, when they were making the documentary, Yasser wasn't caught yet. And yeah. So they were kind of doing these interviews at possibly their own peril. Exactly. Because Yasser was a crazy motherfucker. Yeah. And he had a lot of vengeance and, and a um, lot of time. He would just cruise around spying on his daughters and shit. We'll yeah. get into that. Yeah. Ugh. Fuck this dude. Yeah. So Amina, she is the girlier one. Her favorite color was pink. Both of them went to a Taekwondo studio and they did karate. Or as the Japanese call it, karate. Wait, what did you say? <laughs> and when she first started going to the Taekwondo studio, she saw a boy, Joseph, who is an interesting character. And he, again, is like a big part of the documentary. They lock eyes and immediately fall in love. Love at first sight, as pretty much he says, and his mom says as well. He said that he was probably doing something at the time, like, and he completely like, like a thousand push-ups. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he you look strong, but whatever he was doing, he basically f- flubbed it up because he was just so enamored by how beautiful she was. She's very striking. She's very pretty, and they didn't beat around the bush too much. She got his cell phone number and immediately started texting them, and within, like, weeks, they were already saying that they, like, loved each other. I, I believe they don't give a total time frame on this, um, and we are using the documentary as our primary source. I did a little bit of supplemental research, but for the most part, the documentary is really the best source of information. I'm guessing that they were about 15 or 16 years old at this point. And another figure that is very much part of the story is, like I said, Ruth, who is Joseph's mom. One interesting thing about Joseph and we were noticing while uh, the documentary was going was that the entire time he's being interviewed, he's wearing a Nile shirt. Yep. Egyptian death metal for yeah. those not in the know. It's just Egyptian themed death metal, right? They're yeah. Not no, they're from Egypt. like New York or something. Yeah. And then on top of that, he's wearing like a King Tut like sweatshirt. Right. Which is just strange. I don't know if he's Egyptian. He looks kind of native to me. And his mom looks native as well. But it's just strange that he's wearing like double Egyptian stuff and his girlfriend was Egyptian. Yeah, it is. It's it's weird. weird. I, I don't know. Like, I, I want to see him walk and see if he walks like an Egyptian too. <laughs> okay. That was terrible. <laughs> I, I had to. So Sarah, the sister, she's one year younger than Amina. And she wanted to be, so this is, I think, also why she was just not as outgoing as Amina. She was really academic and she wanted to be a doctor. So she always had her nose in a book and she was super duper into school. She was always doing homework and extracurricular activities, like academic stuff. And so she just wasn't out there, I think, as much as Amina was. She did have a boyfriend, though. His name was Eric and his face is blurred out. And they don't give his full name and he's not a part of the documentary. So I want to respect that. So I didn't do any further research on him. She also did karate as well at the studio that Amina went to. And then the karate instructor said Amina would kind of, quote unquote, get in trouble a little bit because she was like, 
on her phone or, you know, flirting with Joseph or talking to people. Like, again, she was just more of an outgoing person. And Sarah was much more subdued. And she did as she was told. And so he he kind of jokes that, like, she got in, quote unquote, less trouble than her sister. But I don't think either of them actually got in trouble. It was just like him having to remind her to be quiet or something. So that's Amina and Sarah. They're lovely, lovely, lovely girls. So the Saeed family worked at a convenience store nearby. At least this is from the beginning of the documentary. The convenience store never comes up again. So it must be that maybe the family owns the convenience store or something and he works in it from time to time. But for the most part, it doesn't seem it's like it's actually his job. This also may have been Yasser's parents maybe owned the store too. Like... Right. So he is the oldest of five. The ones that will factor the most is Yassine. We're going to hear about him. We're going to hear about the sister. Her name is Gada. And then there's another one that figures into it towards the end. And I want to say that's Mawson. I want to say that's his name. You can say it. It's Mawson probably. But... The one that isn't named that I'm like, you know, obviously not saying, I don't know what his name is and he didn't really factor into it. That's why I'm not even mentioning him. All right. So he's the oldest of five, like I said, one sister, three brothers. And what's interesting is that Tissy, and we're going to call her Tissy throughout, but her name is actually Patricia. Patricia was this, you know, 13, 14 year old white girl living in Texas. Are they, they're, still at Texas, they're still in Texas at this point, right? Yeah. yeah. So she's this 13, 14-year-old white girl dating Yassin. So Yassin is the younger brother to Yasser. And her and him date for a little while. And he goes to his father. Yassin goes to his father and says, I want to marry her. And he gives, you know, gives the blessing. She really wanted to get out of the house. So she was like going to accept. And then they break up. And then pretty much immediately after, she starts dating Yasser. Right. Now, she's 15 years old at this point. He is 30. You do the math. <laughs> that is times two. So at 15, he proposes. So like we're talking like it had to have been like six months after like Yasin was going to marry her. Now Yasser is going to marry her. And there are people in the documentary as well as Tissy saying that it does seem like, one, Tissy wanted to get out of the house, and two, that Yasser needed a green card because he came from Egypt to the United States on a student visa and it had lapsed and he was looking for a more permanent way to stay in the country. So a lot of people kind of attribute those two factors to this kind of quick marriage and Patricia slash Tissy's parents approved of it fairly early on as well. Tissy, you will hear from us, is a lion's sack of shit who constantly flip-flops throughout, and it's so aggravating that you want to slap the shit out of her. It looks like she's lived her life in flip-flops, too. (laughs) So she starts off in the documentary saying that he was controlling and abusive, and then throughout she'll talk about how great of a father he is as well. Something else she notes is that... Yasser had another daughter that I don't think he acknowledged at all because, one, she was born out of wedlock, and two, she was a girl probably, that he had another daughter right before they got married in 1983. And so that daughter is about a year older than the kids that Tissy and Yasser end up having. So they got married when she was 15. She gave birth to, as what everybody in the documentary refers to him as, is Islam. I'm pretty sure it's Islam. (laughs) He's the oldest. Yeah. So he's the oldest. She had him at 16. So they got married at 15. She had Islam at 16. She had Amina at 17 years old. And she had Sarah at 18 years old. So she boom, boom, boom. Three kids in a row. She's 18 years old with a 33-year-old guy and three kids. Well. That's one way to do it. Yeah. Jeez. She also, Tissy also discloses that Yasser cheated on her at least six times. And then there was this weird kind of non sequitur that she mentions, which is like, because I think she's both trying to paint him as like a sympathetic character as well as like a piece of shit. 
that like she should be scared of. Exactly. So she says that Yasser actually killed someone at his work years earlier. So there was some sort of argument that Yasser had with somebody coworker or something. Yeah. And Yasser waited for this guy outside in, so in his he car. He was in his car yeah. and he waited for this guy to leave work or on his way to his car and then like hit him. And, and then hit him, and then hit him, and the guy ended up dying. Like, backed over him, like, three times or something like that. Isn't that what happened with um, Suge Knight? No, I don't think. I think, sh- wait, I always get, I get all of, I'm not even going to try. Never Knight, mind. Just You mean Suge Knight hitting someone with a car? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure he's done that. Yeah, there's, like, video of him doing he's it. He's done lots of stuff. Yeah. I, when he's in, like, the red SUV, and he constantly, he's just like, boom, boom, boom. And you're like, whoa, dude. I forgot who he's killing, though. He uh, was going to throw vanilla ice off a balcony of a hotel. I should have, yeah. Why? Really? Have you seen what vanilla ice is doing now? Yeah, he's on like, uh, I think he got recently arrested, but he was on like a home makeover show. See, he's thriving. No. Okay. Anyways, so she said that, because I also think she's trying to prove that Yasser's family has like connections or something, which I... Don't not believe. Don't not. Don't you love those d- double negatives? I don't not know what to think of that. <laughs> so she's saying that. So this is Tissy. Tissy is saying that Yasser's dad got him off basically by paying a bunch of money and he never had to like face murder charges. I don't know. And so that makes me think one, did this happen they in have Egypt? A very lucrative <laughs> little corner store. Yes. I'm, I was thinking one, did this happen in Egypt? Because she didn't specify. And maybe that's easier to do there. And then two, I mean, it's not impossible to do here, but usually in this country, we, and again, I'm not saying that they're cool with it in Egypt, but it seems like they maybe are a little faster and looser with, you know, human rights stuff. They Sounds like it. Yeah, just kind of according to this family, as I'm not, I'm not trying to say all Egyptians are like this, so please don't get me wrong, but there's definitely been some issues. Hey, there's issues in this country too, so I'm not saying that. So I'm saying it could happen in either country, but I, I really, she doesn't specify what country this happened yeah, in. Yeah, we don't know whose palms are getting greased. At this point, and they didn't specify how old she is, but I'm guessing she is at least like eight or ten years old, Amina at this point, potentially older. Oh, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, they when they did. This yeah, we, but she's fairly young, but old enough to to be able to tell this to an adult. But Amina discloses to her grandmother, which is Tissy's mother, that her dad touched her and touches her sister inappropriately. Yeah. So her mom, Tissy, takes them to Cook's Hospital. And they contact the Child Protective Services and the police. The girls get interviewed by CPS. Both girls are examined, and they find no evidence of, would it be, sexual trauma? Yeah, but the the official medical record says does not rule out sexual abuse. So they couldn't rule it in, but they also couldn't rule it out. So it's this very like... Double negative? It's just this very unsatisfying kind of verdict for like two girls who have been molested by their father. Nevertheless, Yasser is taken in for questioning. And he's not very pleased about this. And when he gets out, you know, of the station or whatever, he starts calling the house and... Like threatening them. Right. Yeah. But they're not together at this point, right? So I believe this this part of the documentary gets a little murky. I believe what happens is that while Yasser... I'm assuming that there's some kind of restraining order against... A temporary restraining order until things get sorted out. And so Tissy moves in with her sister... And the sister's name is Connie. And Connie is probably one of my favorite people in the documentary in the sense that, like, I I will admit the lack of emotion from some of the people in the documentary really bothers me. It's Um, a bit strange. It is. Like, Tissy is like, it's so crazy. My kids were killed. But Connie really finds, she breaks down a lot in it. And she really, really loved those girls. So I believe when, you know, Yasser has been, 
um, when he's being questioned and imprisoned and all of this stuff and probably has a restraining order or they have a restraining order against him, she goes and stays with Connie and her kids. And so at this point, Connie, Tissy, Amina, Sarah, and Connie's kids are all living under one roof away from Yasser. But I still think in the same like city or area at least. Right. So Yasser starts calling the house at all hours of the night, like every 30 minutes. And he's making threats and intimidating everybody. And he also drives to Tissy's mother's house and harasses her mom and dad. Because remember, Amina apparently or allegedly told Tissy's mother, which is her grandmother, that the abuse happened. So Yasser has kind of got it in his head that Tissy's mother must have kind of gotten her to say it to the cops or something. So he's kind of putting Tissy's mother like the scapegoat. Yeah. Putting her on blast. So Yasser is arrested for retaliation, which is an interesting charge. Yeah, and Tissy at this point is when she really starts to kind of flip-flop because there's all this evidence that the documentarians find about retaliation and all the stuff of how he's threatening the girls and her family and stuff, right? And then Tissy, the the documentarians, like, (laughs) ask her, like, why was he arrested this last time and she goes um tickets tickets i think it was tickets while they're showing on the screen while they're showing on the screen retaliation you know and threats yeah his receipt for paying his 500 dollars like bail or whatever it was for retaliation yeah and she's all tickets tickets yeah it's just tickets pretty funny so the girls are okay so this is pretty fucked up so the girls are persuaded to retract their story, telling authorities that they made up these accusations. We're saying it wasn't true, that they made the stuff up because they didn't want to live at their, their house. Anymore. They wanted yeah. to live with their grandma, is what the story was. And they were saying this so Yasser wouldn't go to jail. And so it's believed, but it's not stated directly, that Tissy basically got them to say this so that it wouldn't kind of screw up their family. And everybody in the family saying it, so I think it kind of screwed up the family. Yeah. And that brings me to this. This whole thing causes a break in the family, and it's between Tizzy and Tizzy's mother. Because Tizzy keeps flip-flopping. And yeah. Dude, yeah. So t- not to, like, talk too much shit about Tizzy, because she was abused as fuck, too. Mm-hmm. Like, Yasser picked her up at what? Like, what do you say, 15? Yeah, I mean... She was already starting to be a part of the family, the Saeed family, when she was like 13. So she was like aware of Yasser when she was like 13, 14 years old, and they got married at 15. And maybe some of this family are decent people, but everyone in this story is a fucking huge piece of shit. Yeah. Jill and Connie, which Jill is Tissy's aunt and Connie is her sister, they're not bad people like they no, try no, to the help Saeed family is what I'm saying yeah yeah but t- I, I'm gonna go ahead and say that Tissy's a piece of shit I don't like her I feel bad for her but it does not excuse the shit that she put her daughters through she sold her daughters out man. yeah dude she definitely did so Amina wrote Tissy's sister Connie a letter saying that she was made to change her story and that she really didn't want to go back to the house with her dad you know, especially after all of this. So this letter that Amina writes Connie is kind of detailed in, like, what kind of happened and stuff. And so Connie hides the letter in her closet and was going to use it to, like, take to CPS. And or like, police or something. Yeah, try to, like, get the ball rolling on this thing. And she goes looking for it, and it's missing. And she can't find it anywhere, and she thinks that that Tissy took it. Yeah, and I will say the one thing that kind of infuriates me about Connie is that Connie should realize, and it's not her fault, but she should realize that Tissy's a fucking idiot and shouldn't tell her anything. Because there's a really good chance that Connie told Tissy, like, hey, Amina wrote me this letter, and I'm going to take it to police. Because how else would Tissy have found out about it? Yeah. I mean, Amina could have told her, too, like, hey, I wrote Aunt Connie a letter or something. Well, probably not. 
But Connie, because there's a couple of times where she drops the ball in the story. Connie where, does, but Amina doesn't. No, no, no. Amina never does. No. But Connie, she just, I think she trusts her sister too much or thinks that maybe she doesn't have the worst judgment in the world. And by the time the documentary is on, it's been like five years since the crime had been committed. At this point, she knows her sister's a piece of shit. And so she's, they're probably not even talking at that point. But during during all of it, in the midst of all of it, I really, truly believe that she tells Tissy way more than Tissy should know because Tissy's a total puppet of Yasser's. I will say that. She is a, she is a sympathetic figure to some extent because she's obviously Yasser's puppet. So at this point, the girls have retracted their story and Yasser's not going to jail. And so they... Go to yeah, yeah. They just take off to Maryland for like what was it like three, three months. months, three or four months, yeah, for the air to clear in Texas. Right after this three months in Maryland, they go to Egypt for a few more months, and then back to Texas. When back in Texas, uh, is that when like they're saying that like he they were trying to marry her off to the highest bidder? Was that another trip? They go several times and. At least a few of the times. He's trying to marry them off to the highest bidder, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Tissy and Connie, their younger sister, starts going. So they they move back to Texas. And to help out with the kids kids and stuff, Tissy and Connie's younger sister, who we don't ever get the name of, I don't think, Mm -hmm. starts going to to their house, you know. And after about two weeks... She is really not wanting to go, and she's saying that Yasser uh, is fucking with her. After a couple weeks, she begins telling Connie that Yasser is messing with her, i.e. molesting with her. Is that Are you saying that the little sister is being molested by Yasser? Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. That was, it's hard to follow them in the documentary. There's a couple parts that, yeah. Okay. And also, it. I think that the girls were kind of begging her as well, like, take us with you when you leave. Like, don't let, don't keep us here. Don't let us stay here. Right. So they didn't go Press to- charges. They didn't go to police on this one. They wanted to keep it. They just wanted to resolve it in the family. Ugh. Yeah, nice family. Fuck. When Amina turns 16, Yasser takes her to Egypt. Ah, okay, that's And then this is when he tries to marry her off. So the highest bidder, who's like in his 40s. Right. She's 16. Yeah. And obviously not into it. And she protests and she will just, she's not going to fucking do it. And we know a lot of this information through the emails and letters that she's sending to her boyfriend and her boyfriend's mom at this point. That's Joseph and Ruth. And so we know a lot of this because of her emails. Yes. Amina also hears her dad talking with his brothers about the bride prices he can get for her and her sister. Yasser was going to sell both daughters obviously. But Amina, since she was the oldest, she was going to go first. And from early on, Yasser always said that the girls would have to marry Muslims. They could not marry Americans. Which is crazy because, again, like we've said, Tissy is the whitest Christian American ever. But he also married her to get citizenship. I know, but... So he's just but that's Yeah, obviously... But also, but I mean, as a kid, as a 16-year-old girl, as a kid, you know, looking at your dad marrying a white American and you're like, but I can't be with an American? It's like, yeah, different rules for different genders, you know? Well, he is the man. Yeah. As all this stuff is getting crazier and crazier, Joseph and Amina make a plan to go to Las Vegas and get married. And they... They were stoked on each other. They talked about a marriage a lot. And Ruth was going to support it. Yeah, Joseph's whole family supported. They wanted to get Amina away from that psycho. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't hard to see that, like, it was a very unhealthy living situation. So they were trying to get her out of it. Yeah, at one point in the the documentary, Ruth says that she would do anything she could to get Amina out of that house. We talked about it before, but Yasser kept super close tabs on the girls. He'd go through their phones 
emails and even he'd even follow them in his car and spy on them with like a video camera yeah so he often which if the Alyssa attorney case super duper similar that's the one who the guy was finally charged the dad so in that case if you know the Alyssa attorney case at all he stalked Alyssa. he went to her work he filmed her he filmed her comings and goings in the house he criticized her and it's just like this case where this guy is totally obsessed with his daughter. And there's a, there's one video where he, it's like her first day of work or something. And he's filming her like you can barely see her. And he's filming her through the window. And what's even more fucked up about it is that Tissy's sitting next to him. And she's like giving commentary. She's not like. I think it was Amina. No, no, no. Well, they're watching Amina. And Tissy's sitting next to no. Yasser. And Yasser's like, she just smiled at a guy. And Tissy was like, well, she has to. She's working customer service. And he's like, I don't care. She's going to get in trouble for that later. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Amina and Joseph had like code words that they would use in their correspondences because she didn't want her dad, her dad to see anything. this yeah. stuff and like get all fucking crazy. And needless to say, Amina was terrified of her father. Yeah, she would even like... She, like, refused to talk to Joseph at certain places. It was only safe to talk at the Taekwondo studio because that was the only place that she was, like, allowed to be. Really, she was really scared for, like, Joseph's safety when it came to her dad. So Amina and Joseph would trade love letters in class often. And I'm guessing this is Taekwondo class? I think they also went to the same high school. Yasser finds one of these letters that Amina is writing and confronts her about it pissed off. Amina lied and said that the letter was to a make-believe boyfriend because she was not allowed to have a real one. The next day, Yasser moves the whole family away. Ugh. That's rational. Like a day after finding this letter. Yeah. It's fucking insane. Not long after they move, Amina emailed her Taekwondo instructor telling him what happened and that they bought a house in Louisville, Texas. She also sent a covert message to Joseph letting him know that she was okay and that she loved him. Through this, Ruth gets in touch via email with Amina and they get closer. Amina tells Ruth that her dad is trying to find out where her son lives and that he wants to kill him. Which is Joseph. Right, yeah. which is her house, Ruth's house. Amina wouldn't tell her dad where Joseph lived, and so he beat her. This guy's a real piece of shit. <laughs> is that the brace thing? Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it is. Uh, Yasser kicked Amina in the mouth, smashing her lips into her braces. And that was after kicking her in the stomach to wake her up. And, called her, and calling, calling her, her a whore, whore. yeah. yeah. What's really confusing about this story is that, like, everybody's like, yeah, she got kicked in the face and braces, braces, braces. Because, like, basically her braces got, like, and her lip became one. Like, they, her lip right. got stuck in her braces. And then it like, it, like, pans over to Tissy and she's like, she never had braces. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like. It's just like everybody's confirming the story. And then it's like Tissy's turn to basically, you know, defend yeah. Amina and she's like she never had braces but what sucks and I hate I hate to be this person but in every single picture you see of Amina she never has braces so and like she's about 16 and 17 in the picture so I am not at all taking Tissy's side here at all at all but she there are no pictures with her wearing braces at all I haven't seen any yeah I mean she has straight teeth do you are there like no. I guess there would be braces, but like sleeping, like maybe like a retainer or something. You can, um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I'm again, I'm not defending, I'm sure he kicked her in the face. I'm, there's no doubt about it in He's my got mind. got the look. Yeah. Of a face kicker. <laughs> yes. And I, I will say it doesn't, I, I, I don't think she had braces. I mean, she may have had a retainer or something, but. When you have braces, you have braces for no less than a year. They're cemented on your teeth. Well, and you have them for no less than a year. So if we're seeing pictures of her being 16 and 17 years old, and this happens when she's 16 or 17 years old, there's no indication she has braces. But again, I'm not going to fucking, you know, defend Yasser or Tissy at this point. She very much could have had braces, and maybe we just didn't see those pictures. Could be. Yasser plans another trip to Egypt. 
and Amina fears she will not be coming back from this one. She thinks she's going to get sold into marriage for sure. And even more sketchy is when they land in Egypt, Yasser takes her American Amina passport. and Sarah's passports. Yeah. yeah, American passports. Right. But they do return to Texas, and Amina emails Ruth to let her know she's okay. Joseph and Amina begin emailing each other at this point again. So they had kind of lost contact, I think, when the family moved. He was saying in the documentary, how just one day she was just gone. He was just like, what the fuck? And Amina and Ruth had kind of been in email contact, but and the Taekwondo instructor and Joseph's father, they were all in contact, but they weren't telling Joseph that. Because they didn't want to put Joseph in harm's way. Right. So... At this point, Joseph and Amina start talking again, and they kind of pick up where they left off in their relationship. I mean, obviously, with everything going on, Amina is not Happy. mentally healthy. Yeah. And at one point, she tries committing suicide and spends some time in a hospital. She also writes to Joseph and Ruth at this point, or just Ruth, that she, like, She's like, I'm going to use, I don't know if this was the suicide attempt or what, but she said, I'm going to use that gun that my dad keeps because it's there for a reason. And I don't know if that was to say that she was going to shoot her dad or shoot herself. Uh, my impression was she was going to shoot her dad. Yeah, me too. But she should have. Oh my God. Could you imagine how different the story would be if she had? Yeah, fuck. So, uh... This was right before Christmas 2007. Yasser said he was going to kill Amina because he found out that she was dating an American boy. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Tizzy takes... And Tizzy even admits that he said that. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's pretty it's... out in the open that he said that. Yeah. So Tizzy takes Amina and Sarah and... Eddie, which is a family friend who's also a DJ, we'll learn more about later, and Sarah's boyfriend, Eric, to Kansas. Yeah. yeah. They go to Wichita. And this is where Jill comes into it. And yeah. Jill is Tissy's aunt, so it would be Amina and Sarah's great aunt. She also seems like a pretty decent person. Yeah. So they were only there for like three hours, I think. Yeah. They like show up on her doorstep and they're like, hey... Can you take us in? And she's like, yeah, totally. I'm having Mexican food, but I don't have enough chips for the salsa. Right. And then so Tizzy's like, I'll go get chips and then takes all the kids. And then they have like some huddle and come back and say that they can't can't stay there. So they continue on to Tulsa, right? Mm hmm. And in Tulsa, Tizzy actually weirdly gets her shit together for like a second and she actually rents an apartment and actually, like, prepays rent, I think, for that month and the next, like, and gets a job, like, all really quickly. Like, she's supposed to start Monday. Right. And, like, it just seems like she has all her shit together and everybody, like, moves into the apartment. And then, like, two seconds later. They ditched their old cell phones and, like, got rid of the SIM cards and stuff because Yasser's a maniac. And he... Oh, and Islam has also reported them missing to the police as well at this point. Okay. Yasser some, somehow figures out their numbers on their new phones. And, and starts... somehow figures out is fucking Tissy. Right. You fucking know that she, like, texted Yasser because she's a fucking idiot. Sorry. I know I, I'm usually more sympathetic towards women who are obviously in domestic situations, but you're, like... She fucking she's a she's a co-conspirator like in this story. She's a victim, but she's also a co-conspirator. So all of those stories where like Carla Homolka, Myra Henley, you know who I'm talking about, like the the women that are co-conspirators in semi domestic abuse situations that still fucking inflict violence and death on other people. Um, it's so hard to be sympathetic towards them because their actions supersede that of their own victimhood. Oh, that sounded smart. Wow. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Look at you. (laughs) Yasser is begging and pleading with Tizzy about, oh, I miss you, blah, 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 all the pillow talk. Come on back. So Tizzy makes up the story about how she's going to go place flowers at her 
mother's grave. Right. Because it's like the anniversary of her death or something. Yeah. And Eddie has to go back for a DJ job, which he could have just gone back by himself. No, no, not everybody had to go. Right, right. So the plan was to go to Texas and do these things and then come back to Tulsa. And so when they get back to Texas, Tissy is like, psych, I'm getting back with Yasser. And y'all have to move back in. Right. Because you're under the age of 18, so you have to do what I say. And Amina's like, fuck that shit. And she goes and stays at her friend Rosemary's house. And she's like, I'm not coming back. Yeah. So let me see here. Does she stay at Rosemary's house? She stays at Rosemary's house that night. And then Amina, like, so Amina stays at Rosemary's house. And she's like, I'm not fucking going back. She tells that to Jill. She tells that to Connie. She's like, "Uh uh-uh. I'm fucking not going back to that house. My mom tricked me in coming back here. I'm not going back. And then Tissy, oh, um, Tissy gets Sarah to, like, text her, like, hey, call mom, call mom, call mom. And then she starts kind of obsessing over trying to get a hold of Amina. And then Tissy in the documentary says, oh, she wanted me to come pick her up because she was going to start school, like, really soon. So she wanted to get her school stuff together. But everybody in the film is like, no, she fucking probably lied to her to get her to come back to the house or, like, pulled her from Rosemary's house. Like, there's no fucking way. She shows up at the house. Yeah. And she's like, we're going. Yeah. But Tissy makes it seem like Amina wanted to be picked up. But there's no fucking way that Amina wanted to be picked up. She's flip-flopping. She's a... <laughs> Amina finally agrees to go back to the house. Mm-hmm. So Amina, Sarah, and Mom and Islam are all in the house together. And and Yasser is like, I forgive you guys. Yeah. Yasser I love you guys. Playing up the good guy. I want to take you out to dinner. Right. So Islam and Tissy, you guys go on ahead. I'm going to take the two girls in my cab and we'll meet you there. Yeah. Right? I don't even know if Islam and Tissy were invited. Oh, okay. I know. At, one thing I did read was that Tissy wanted to come along. And he didn't but, want her to? Yeah. He wanted it to just be him and the girls. Right. Ugh. She Well, and so what's infuriating at this point is that Connie and Jill both attest to the fact that Tissy said Yasser is going to kill the girls. Like, if I leave the girls alone with Yasser right now, he will kill them. Both of them say that independently of each other. So at this point, this is why we hate Tissy so much, is because she seemingly, purposely, and she even admits it in the film, like, she purposely leaves her daughters alone with Yasser. At this point, like, is like, bye, have a nice night. I don't know if you've seen The Sopranos or anything like that, but it just reminds me of that. Like, why would you get into the car? I know. Adrian? Yeah, that was one of them. Oh, God. I know. I need to watch The Sopranos again. Yeah. I mean, they they did that to a lot of people in that show. Hey, come on in the car. No, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, no shit. I'm good, mobster people. If you were like Amina or Sarah, like... I mean, uh, he's also... me. Uh, uh, uh. He's not Count fucking... The Count (laughs) from Sesame Street. (laughs) (laughs) That's my impersonation for all. Egyptian people? Good job. Yeah. (laughs) He's a big, scary guy who obviously has manipulated them his entire life. I mean, he's gotten them to basically take back things that they said to the police. I mean, in no way, shape, or form are Amina and Sarah at any kind of fault in this regard. But just understand that Yasser is a very manipulative, dangerous man. He has that in common with Dracula. Yeah, but not the Count from Sesame Street. The Count at Sesame Street just wants a count. He's good at it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So This is not funny, so. Yeah, I know. It's I don't want to get to this part. Le- I know. It's like we're avoiding it. We all it know where this sucks. is going. So, and we're not going to play the 911 call. We thought about it. I can't. I can't do it. It's pretty harsh. It's fucking harsh. It's, yeah, it's fucked. We'll talk about it in a minute. Yasser turns around and shoots... Wait, wait, wait. So he drives to the Omni Mandalay Hotel. 
and he basically kind of, I believe he kind of parks in that area where like where you go up to reception, you can kind of pull up your car to go check in and then get back in. It's not, it's like kind of like a valet spot. It's not like a real spot. He, he parks his cab there and then you, then you can say. Turns around and shoots his daughters. To death. And he shot, so Amina died instantly. And, and then, then Sarah, Sarah was in the back seat. So he turned to Amina, who was sitting next to him, and shot her, I think, directly into the head. And then when he turned around and shot Sarah, he shot Sarah in the chest first. So Sarah was able to call 911, I think, even prior to the shooting when he had shot Amina. And when the 911 operator answers, you'll lose your mind if you fucking listen to it. I guess the call lasted like 42 minutes or something. Because it just stayed on the line. Because she died with the phone still Yeah. On. But she was just like, my dad just shot me. I'm dying. And he's like, what? What did you say? And she's like, are you like, what? I, I'm dying. That's what's up. That's what she says. Yeah. He's like, hold, please. And he's all, oh, you're dying. Hold on. Let me call. Let me connect you with the fire department. And so you can hear like her like wincing in pain and like agony yeah, while she's like being put scream. on hold. Because she's literally, these are her fucking death rattles, you know? And when the fire department guy gets on, she's completely almost gone. And he's like, fire department, how can I help you? And she's like, I'm dying. I'm dead. You know, like, and he was like, I'm sorry. What are you saying? Oh, this is weird. And then he like transfers her. And it's just like people being like, well, we got non-responsive people, you know, and it's just like this fucking infuriating game of like phone it's tag. A circle jerk of ineptitude is what yeah. it is. Yeah. And like they I think get in some trouble later on and the documentarians do a good job of showing that everything that the first responders did, the 911 operator and the fire yeah. department, everything they did was wrong. And we have a good friend who is a 911 operator and there was one night I got to job shadow her and I will say be, just from that experience as well as like just looking and knowing what 911 operators are supposed to do they sometimes might sound insensitive but the whole thing is that they're supposed to keep you on the phone and never lose control of the conversation they'll ask you things like what's your age where are you from what's your sister's name what color is your hair you know they'll just keep you they're they're trying to keep you on the line and conscious this guy was like immediately just like Oh, you're dying? Let me transfer you. Like, it was just like, n rule number one, like, don't lose control of the conversation. He immediately does. And then he, like, passes her on. They don't know what's going on. I will say there's no way she could have been saved. But um, it's just infuriating to listen to. Like, it's just like that her dying last words were, like, begging a stranger to help her. And the stranger being like, I I'm sorry, what? You know, it's just fucking infuriating. At one point, it sounds like Yasser comes back. Oh, God, yeah. Because you can hear Sarah saying... No! Know, yeah. yeah. Anyways, so that happens. It's a bummer. Yasser splits and just leaves the cab there. And then I think it's Jill or... No, I think it's Connie at this point makes the point, like, there's no fucking way. This guy just shot his two daughters close range. He's probably covered in blood. So how the fuck did he get away so easily, you right. know? Yeah. And so a lot of people are saying this is when his family steps in. And like that was a, the, that was a meat point. Yeah. And that the documentarians were also saying that like the amount of minutes he had talked with his brothers ahead of time, like one of his brothers, it may have been Mawson. He talked to him for like 287 minutes, like the two days preceding the death, you know, the murders. And he called Yassine like right after and he called, you know, like so What's infuriating as well, because this whole case is infuriating, is that none of his other family members at this point that I know of have ever been charged with being a co-conspirator or anything. And that'll change when we get to the very end of the story. But at this point, no one else is charged. It's just Yasser is just kind of the known um, murderer who's on the run, who obviously had been picked up by somebody in his family because he's covered in blood and is able to get away. And stay away for 12 years. What's also interesting, too, is that the documentarians, like we were saying, are bold as fuck. They go through the whole list of the family members being like, basically, they're saying, hey, we believe that his family is 
partially responsible for these girls' murders. And so we're going to fucking, we're going to dox the shit out of them. And (laughs) so they, like, they flash their, you know, basically like mug shots on the screen and then say their full names, their occupation, last known contact with Yasser and whereabouts and stuff. Like they just blast this whole family, and, which is awesome because the w- regardless of whether or not they're charged, they did take some part in well, at least harboring a fugitive. It turns out that yeah, they for had sure. a big part in harboring a fugitive. Yes, and so well that and that is coming up. So what's interesting too is that the sister. Like, there's not a lot of known information about her. Her name's Gata, and she's also wanted and on the run for <laughs> yeah. kidnapping her kids after she had gone to court with her husband for custody. He actually got custody of the kids, so she just kidnapped them and took them back to Egypt. And we know for a fact that they are in Egypt because Tissy was even saying that she saw them during at least one or two visits back to Egypt. So she knows that the kids are fine and they're just living there and they can't for some reason like extradite or like arrest her or anything. Sounds legit. And so it's fairly soon after this, the killings are ruled as honor killings by the FBI and that's what it's kind of being marketed as. And so you're probably thinking, what exactly is an honor killing? And one scholar that talks about it in the documentary, the way that she says it, I really like. She says that an honor killing is community-sanctioned terrorism against half of the population. Basically, honor killing is terrorism against women, specifically. And that it really, the honor killings really have less to, less to no, nothing to do with um, the Muslim faith but they have more to do with cultural stuff in Egypt and other countries. And she said that there's honor killing zones and stuff that they're, they're partially in India and all around the world where you get these ethnic enclaves of certain groups of, you know, cultural groups who believe that, you know, women should be seen and not heard and should not have a choice in anything. They shouldn't be seen either. That's why they dress them up. Like well, but not, but not, not all. I mean, obviously, Amina and Sarah didn't have to cover up or anything, but they also were not being encouraged to be Americanized either. Yeah, that family didn't seem like a. It wasn't like consistent. A, they didn't seem like a religiously well, Muslim. Family. Yeah, and one of the scholars was saying that Yasser is not religious. He's like that man is not religious. He is cultural, like culturally, like like an old, he comes from a very old culture. And that it's more of a tribal thing than anything else. That is not religion. He's like, he's a Muslim scholar. And he's just like, that. that's not, has nothing to do with the Muslim faith. Like, nowhere in the Quran does it say that honor killings are a thing. So he's like, I just really want to put that out there. That this has nothing to do with our faith. Yeah, it's like the equivalent of hillbillies. It, well, yeah, it's like the equivalent of like the Mormon church. They're fair, they're, they're, they're peaceful people. But then you get the fucking you know, fanatics that, you know, practice polygamy and child brides and shit. Like, that's not the same thing as mainstream Mormonism, you know, the FLDS. I think that's what it's called. The fundamental LDS church. Like, it's very, very, very different from mainstream Mormonism. If you ask me, all these religions stink. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Mormonism. I don't think we have a lot of Mormon listeners. I don't think I'm offending anyone there. I went to high school with a ton of Mormons, and I was friends with a ton of Mormons. They're some of the nicest people I've ever met. I do not share in their in their religious views whatsoever. I played music with lots of Mormons. Really? Yeah. Who? Uh, Isn't Tim a Mormon? Oh, he's an ex-Mormon though. And when I was a kid, the first dude I played guitar with was a Mormon. He would skip church and come to my house. Oh, so you hung out with the bad Mormons. Are there good ones? Oh, yeah, definitely. Boring. I hung out with some good Mormons who, like, went... I don't think it's called communion. I think that's a Catholic thing. Yeah. But they went to something in the morning, like, really early. It started with a C. I can't remember. But... They would have to go at like 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. like until school started. And that's where they learned about their like magical underwear and stuff. I've got some pretty magical underwear too. Yeah, we got to throw those away. (laughs) Oh, so at the funeral of the girls, Islam starts kind of losing his mind a little bit. He's the older brother. 
and he sees Joseph at the funeral and Joseph is obviously really broken up about it and Islam wants to blame Joseph for the girl's deaths. Yes. And they get into this huge fight. In the middle of the funeral. It's fucking so sad. So that's kind of where a lot of the documentary kind of falls off at and it's this very unsatisfying which, you know, you're used to hearing uns unsatisfying endings to stories that yeah. we tell you here on the True Crime Dumpster. Well, see but, you later. But as of August, this is like, I almost want to cry. As of August 26, 2020, Yasser Saeed has been fucking caught. He's been captured. He's in custody right now. It's so fucking exciting. So, and what's crazy too is that his last known whereabouts were in Fort Worth, Texas. And where he was caught was in Justin, Texas. And I did, I just looked him up on a map. They're 28 miles away from each other. And what's crazy is that I think it's Ru Ruth even says she sees him in North Texas. She says she has a sighting of him at like one of his old houses or something. And she she reports it to police. And there's this whole thing with like a maintenance guy like three years ago, reporting a sighting of him as well. And like it's them, it's basically that maintenance guy's tip that they start following him. It's hard for me to believe that they've been following him for three years, though. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say I think the FBI dropped the ball on him a little bit. But it does sound like Yasser and his family that were harboring him, which we'll talk about in just a second. It does seem like they did a very good job of keeping his whereabouts very unclear because of the depths that they went through to keep him hidden. So like I said, he was captured in, in a house in Justin, Texas. The house was owned. Oh, I don't think Mawson does play a role in this. I think it's Yassine. Maybe. I don't know. See, I'm sorry. There's a lot of brothers and they are all kind of bad guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Saeed family, if I'm offending anyone, but I kind of don't fucking care. Because y'all probably fucking... And, You're all a bunch of shady turds. Like, yeah. I said it. Okay. <laughs> so, like I said, he was captured in Justin, Texas, and he was being aided by Islam and Yassin, not Mawson. Mawson's just a shady motherfucker. They talk about him a lot throughout, but I don't... There's nothing directly correlated to him quite yet. But we'll see as it comes out in the media. And the house was owned by Dalal Saeed, which is Yassin's daughter. So that was one another connection. And the police in the in the news broadcast I watched, they would they said that Islam would actually like when he had to take the trash out, he would drive like 20 miles away to another city to dump the trash. And so FBI like followed him and saw him dump the trash. And then like they tested. And this is why we're the true crime dumpster. We fucking love garbage. Garbage fucking catches criminals. I mean, it caught the Golden State Killer, you know, fucking ugh, so good. Anyways, um, they follow him and they test the garbage basically to see if there's any DNA traces on it. And there is. And it's fucking that guy. It's fucking Yasser. So they basically that's enough of a warrant to be able to go into the house and they go into the house and they find this hidden room with just like a cot in it. And they're able to fucking arrest that motherfucker. So then they do, and then they're able to also arrest Yassin and Islam. They're in a different city, just like a couple miles away, and they're able to um, take them into custody as well. And that's basically where it stands right now. It's super fucking exciting. Yeah, to be continued. I know. So as more updates come up, and hopefully you guys will see them in the media as well, but as more updates come up or interesting things that happen, we'll definitely update you here. But... It's very exciting because it's kind of happening like right now. And I really, really, really hope that there is obviously some justice to all of the people who loved Amina and Sarah and care about her. The mother, Ruth, which is Joseph's mother, she actually has started like we're friends with her on Twitter now. Her name is Ruth Trotter. She started like a fund for the girls to as like a memorial. I haven't looked too, too much into it. But she is very much still an advocate for the girls and doesn't want their stories to be forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they bring back cruel and unusual punishment for this piece of shit. Oh, my God. Because he deserves it. Oh, my God. Old school shit. Yeah. So that's this episode. Yeah. Of the true crime dumpster. Yeah. And trash saves the day again. Yeah. So 
if you want to get away with some greasy shit, eat your trash. <laughs> Be a goat. Yeah. You can find us on all media platforms for podcasts. Like literally just type it in to the air and you'll find it. We have a Facebook group, the True Crime Dumpster Facebook group. It's on Facebook. It's on Facebook. We have an Instagram that we have not been good about updating as much. But yeah, there's some pictures and reminding you you guys of new shows when they come up. And we have a Twitter as well, which is TC Dumpster and our website, truecrimedumpster.com. I'm going to start putting the source material in with the episode notes so that you don't have to go to the website to see what stuff we use, but I'll still be using that website. You can also email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. And you can always come back each week as we talk out the trash. We hope you do. All right. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Bye.